Good morning and happy Halloween. It is as this is recorded and released. It is being it is uh Halloween. It is October 31st, 2021. Hope everything is going well for you and your family, you and yours, and you've got a great Halloween set up. We're actually this is gonna be our last year, our last Halloween in the only home my kid has ever known. And we're moving out. We're moving out and moving up and so we're we're gonna take part in the Halloween festivities this year. We're planning some COVID safety protocols for our Halloween giveaway. And we're all really excited about that. But I'm gonna keep it short this week because well, quite frankly, I just wanna get down and relax and listen to my Beatles record that I got this week. Listen to it again. So uh up this week we have one of my one of my friends, legitimate one of my close friends, Danny Nichols of Three Fourths Francis of Torchlight Parade, whom you may have heard me mention in the past, and it is absolutely high time that he has gotten on one of my shows when you consider all of the wonderful music that he has done, he has created. And so with that. Uh, oh, of course, check out the Fourth Line Voice, uh, Old Time Hockey. Check out Five for Fighting, also Old Time Hockey. Check out Python Up the Misses, which is a husband and wife going over some, going over Monty Python bits. And it's absolutely one of the most hilarious things I have ever heard in my life. And it has really, really, really sparked up my personal interest in Monty Python again. And there'll be more about that later. Uh, so stay tuned, but with that, I'm going to bring in Danny Nichols and have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. And I am happy to tell you right now, we are joined by a good friend of mine, legitimately a good friend, somebody I've known for years, whose albums I own, whose concerts I've been to. We are joined by Danny Nichols of 18 different bands. Why are you here today? Well, um, you know, I'm a fan of the Glacially Musical podcast. I'm also a fan of the Department of Metal Antiquities podcast. <clears throat> I think I've heard every episode of each except for the latest of each. Um, so I, almost the complete collection of both of those. <laughs> I appreciate and, uh, that. I, I'm, a, I'm a big heavy metal fan. And like you said, I like to, I'm part of several different musical projects and, uh, I was very honored that you asked me to be a guest on your show and uh, to talk about uh, any of those bands, rock and roll in general, uh, cats, for sure. I see you got one of your kitties on the screen. We, we have four cats ourselves. And, uh, you know, anything you want to talk about, soccer, Star Wars, comic books. Okay, what? Heavy metal. Well, let's start <laughs> off with your bands. What bands are you in and what what's going on with them right now? <clears throat> So the band that I'm most active with is Torchlight Parade. Um, the Torchlight Parade has been around for a long time. I've been a member since about 2015, 2016. Uh, we're a classic metal band. We, I think we sound kind of like a mix between Judas Priest and Twisted Sister. I would agree with that. Cool, cool. And that, that's not bad company to be in. Um, we, uh, we have a a heck of a gimmick even though it's not actually a gimmick and that everybody in the band except for me um, is a mortician so uh nothing could be more exciting 
Hang on one second. Sure. Sorry about that. One of my cats got up onto the uh, record cleaner. Oh, and, I know how that is. Uh, Nothing ruins a record cleaner quite as quickly as a cat will. Well, the cat actually lost one of the brushes, so I had to buy new brushes this week. And, I mean, I guess he could take the other brush because I don't need three. But I st I'm still trying to... This cat loves to get on top of the records. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but, I mean, it's pretty tall. One so, of the cats was up there uh, at the very beginning of the, the call. Yeah, yeah, that was Goose. Yeah, he does that. I'm sorry. Tor uh, so Torchlight Parade's been around for a while. I I've seen you guys... Oh, five, six, seven times. I, I've lost count at this point. I, I have the album, which um, I, I did list as one of my absolute favorite records of 2020, which I I was also really impressed by the growth the band had from what I had seen on stage to what I had seen in the studio. I felt I, I spent my, my biggest impression from that was the singer really took a step forward and dialed a little bit back on the Judas Priest inspired vocals and did something a little bit more, I'm assuming, genuine to his voice. And I just thought it was so much better, so much better. Yeah, we worked really hard on that. Um, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a long process. We worked really hard on it. Um, we recorded it in Encapsulated Studios in St. Louis. Our sound engineer was a guy by the name of Gabe Usery. And uh, he's really quite brilliant and really got the best performances out of us. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Please ignore the faces I'm making because the cats are doing stupid things. And if I get up to stop everyone, I'm going to be stopping too much. So I'm just right going on, to I hear deal you. with that. And maybe I was, throw this at him. I was mentioning before, our band is kind of a Halloween-themed band. Um, it's uh, basically... Uh, Torchlight Parade is the idea behind it is it's like an ancient torchlit funeral procession because as I mentioned everybody in the band except for me is a mortician um, they all work at a local funeral home which I think is a pretty fantastic gimmick for a heavy metal band to have so if you die in St. Louis the um, the guitar player will be picking up your body and driving the hearse the singer will be embalming you and the drummer will be handling the funeral arrangements because he's a funeral director. So our singer is an actual embalmer, and I think he's embalmed something like over 30,000 bodies. Holy hell. Yeah, he, the way he described it to me, he said he was the Brett Favre of embalmers. <laughs> I guess most people don't have quite the career, the length of a career and the high volume that they have at this funeral home. And uh, he's he's a busy guy with embalming. So uh a lot, a lot of bands sing about death, but our guys live it. But not me. I just have a boring, you know, <laughs> spreadsheet job that isn't very interesting or very heavy metal. So Yeah, that's exactly what my job is. My previous work was actually selling metal, and I no longer do that. So, Although there I did get go. a phone call on my cell phone asking for metal, and I'm like, sorry, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, but yeah, I don't do that click. <laughs> We've well, been delivering the metal through your radio shows, uh in in that manner so yeah but I, I i liked the 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 comedy of selling metal for my day job and spreading the word of metal for my fun job right so on right it on. is what it is uh what else do you have going on because i know there's another band that just uh dropped uh, an ep yeah that's three force francis uh that's some guys i went to grade school with um and we've been jamming together for i don't know i met most of the band I met when I was four years old on the first day of kindergarten. 
So we've been at it for a long time. And the band has changed membership. Uh, it's more of just like a get together and jam sort of project than anything. But it's changed membership a lot through the years. But at any given time, approximately 75% of the band went to the same grade school, which was St. Francis of Assisi. So we called the band Three Force Francis. And uh, it's been a long process, but we finally, we just put out a CD and I'm very, very proud of it. I think it really came together. Um, we recorded it on our own. Uh, we did some of the mixing on our own and then we brought that to Gabe Usury, the same guy that I've been using with Torchlight Parade to kind of get it over the finish line, do a final mix and a master on it. And uh, we're pretty happy with that. And that just dropped October 8th. And uh, and I'm, I'm really thrilled about that. I feel like it's a, a culmination of a project that started um, in the kindergarten. So that's very cool. Now, you, you're obviously a little bit on the busy side. What in, in the rare times you're not uh, you don't have a guitar strap to you. What do you do? Um, I play a lot of soccer. Um, I still play on a soccer team. Uh, so I've been kind of playing soccer continuously since the kindergarten. So it's it is my favorite sport. Which explains um, I, why you're so much thinner than I am. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, so it's it's it gets a little bit harder and harder every year because most of the people in the league are still in their 20s. And uh, I'm out there trying to keep up with them with uh, varied results. Some weeks I do well, <laughs> other weeks uh, I wonder why I haven't retired already. But that's fun. Um, I also am a member of the 501st, which is the – worldwide Lucasfilm Star Wars costuming club. Now, um, I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I, I did sure. talk to somebody about Star Wars and which I thought was a neat conversation, but he was not this deep. I actually saw the first time I saw your, your group, I think it might have been before you joined them. We went to John Williams night at the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra and a bunch of them were there. And I only know that because seeing the Jedi in photos that you've done. So how, how does one get involved in that? <clears throat> well, it's a really neat group. And it's funny because a friend of mine, Ken Kriekhauser, was uh, in the group before me. He had a Stormtrooper costume. And he was kind of my gateway. And my plan was I was going to make one costume and do like four events a year. And then I got there and met everybody and everybody was just so incredibly cool and now you know we're doing 15 to 20 events a year we're working the wife's now a member and we're working on well i've got three costumes she's got two i'm working on my my fourth one right now she's working on her third one right now so but it's basically <laughs> it is sanctioned by lucasfilm and so it's basically a costuming club and the idea is you have to build a costume which is screen accurate and we have armor parties once or twice every month where everybody gets together to work on their costumes and help each other out which is very beneficial to me because i'm grossly incompetent at everything so need help at every step of building these costumes um but danny is very self-deprecating but listen to the music and you might disagree with his assessment a little bit Oh, geez. Well, I appreciate that. But if you saw my initial attempt at a scout trooper helmet, um, you would probably. I'm agree. trying to talk you up here, buddy. All right. But the, the group is really great. And so what happens is you work forever. So it takes me about a year to finish a costume because I, you know, you, keep growing, you can. 
Yeah, and, and they get expensive too. So you kind of got to parse it out over the course of a year so you don't go, get bankrupt being in the club. But um, once you get your completed costume, you submit it for approval. And then they have people that actually, there's something that's called the Costume Reference Library, which is basically the encyclopedia of all the Star Wars costumes. And so they compare it against that. And you have these judges that decide whether it is approved as being accurate enough. And then you are now a member with that costume. And we, they, they just make it really fun. And uh, have you had, have you had one or seen one get denied? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they're very persnickety about it, but I actually like that. I like that they don't let us get away with floppy stuff. So um, even on my stormtrooper one, there's these little ammo packs that hang beneath the belt. And the first time I, I submitted, it got rejected because the strip of fabric that was holding them was an inch too long on either side. Oh our, our X-Wing costumes got rejected because they didn't like where we had placed the, the hose that goes from the, the control box to the, the, the suit. So they can get pretty persnickety. Um, it kind of also depends on who it is that who it is that gets your submission. But they've just really made it a community and an environment, and everybody's really fun, and we, we do a lot of events. I would say the highlight event was getting to be on stage with Weird Al Yankovic when he did his Star Wars. That's so, amazing. It, it really was, and very, very surreal. That was a very surreal experience to be standing next to him on stage while he was performing. And I got him afterwards, I got him to sign the inside of my Stormtrooper helmet, so <laughs> I got to... A Weird Al signature in there. So, do you like Weird Al? Because we've never really talked about that. Oh, I love Weird Al. Okay, I love Weird. It's funny uh, if I don't know if you ever listened to the the Eddie Trunk show, but he one time on the air said, "I just don't get what the big deal is about Weird Al." Like, I don't understand why everybody likes Weird Al. And he said they just blew up the internet saying, "How dare you insult Weird Al?" So it's like no matter what genre of music you're in, into you have people almost always seem to like weird Al. so he is wholesome drama free excessively talented and just damn funny right yeah he's just great it's just like it's great yeah it's great and so that that was really really very exciting that we got to do that and we get to do a lot of different stuff with uh you know all the different charities just this past wednesday we got to hand out toys to uh friends with kids with cancer at Grant's farm and we had, well, there were scheduled to be, I think 492 kids coming through. Wow. Getting toys. And so we got to put our costumes on and do that. So it's, you know, it's 99% charity stuff that we do that show up in events and we make it fun. So. Well, and you know, that's something that I think right now we, we all could use. Right. Excuse yeah. me. I'm, little, I, I'm, I'm gassy. I had, uh, I had whiteies for dinner, which. Maybe was not this well. It's never the smartest choice, quite frankly, but it is what it is. Oh God, the cat's up there again. <sighs> sorry, sorry. Oh no, you'd never have to explain cats. So you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that loves cats more than I do. So there he is. That, that is Goose, named after uh, the Flurgan from Captain Marvel, named after the pilot from Top Gun. All right. I recall I recall both those things. Well, the Flurgan was named after the pilot. And so, yeah. It's pretty remarkable that you've mentioned two movies that I have 
seen both of them and they're not star wars so well, i think we've all seen captain marvel and and yeah. top gun who hasn't seen top gun I, I have there's a lot of movies that i haven't seen though because i'm not very much of a movie person but i do try to watch all the marvel movies um they've they've got me invested and for the most part i like them i will probably end up seeing top gun too my wife apparently wanted to be a pilot when she was in high school so that's why she saw Top Gun. So, and I saw Top Gun because you know I was twelve and it was Top Gun. So, right? Yeah, I think I saw it on, on television at a friend's house. If I remember right. I, I know I saw it on HBO or Cinemax or something. And there's another cat getting up high. God damn it! Sorry, sorry, I'm distracted. The cats are. Well, now Goose is staring at you, so this is weird. Hi, Goose. He he can't hear you. I got headphones on. Oh, okay. I, I, I found that if I wear headphones, it sounds better and I'm more professional. Oh, very good. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I'm working with. So I want to talk more about the the building of the costumes. So I, I know you've said that you have to build them from scratch. How do you build a star a stormtrooper costume? Well, I mean, there. I guess when I say from scratch, it means that nothing is mass produced, but you can always find people that will sell you individual parts of it. And so in my case with the Stormtrooper costume, um, I got some uh, pre-molded ABS plastic that was sent to me. I bought it off of, uh, uh, drawing a blank on the manufacturer's name. That's fine. But but the, uh, so they basically, they they send you a box of pre-molded ABS plastic but then you have to cut it all to shape and to size and then glue it all together, um, which on the surface doesn't sound difficult, but somehow it, it was for me. No, that sounds difficult. And I had the advantage of Ken had already done a Stormtrooper and a New Hope Stormtrooper because there's actually differences between the different movie Stormtroopers. Okay, I did not know that. Please go I, on. I really didn't know that either. Like, for example, like the Return of the Jedi Stormtroopers, their eyes are like bubbled and green compared to like this uh, the solid solid more of a solid green on the a new hope one i mean nobody would care about this but it's actually fun to be part of a costume no i i i care about this i i've never known there were differences so now i need you to go through a laundry list of them oh geez i'm not even sure how qualified i am to give you a laundry list but a lot of it has to do with like or like when you by the time they got around to doing Rogue One, they'd really, the interesting thing about A New Hope when they were making those movies is nobody at the time thought that this was going to have to stand up to close scrutiny 40 years later. And so they kind of just slopped these costumes together. Keep talking, keep going. They just, they kind of just slopped these uh, costumes together and things that were actually mistakes or accidents at the time they were building the costumes are now canon and considered essential parts of the costume. Like on the one arm of the stormtrooper, there's like a big dimple in it, which they call the thumbprint. It probably was there by accident, but now it's canon. So you got to have that dimple in your arm piece on your stormtrooper costume. I've never seen that dimple. Yeah, it's there. And, and like, you really wouldn't notice it. And what's interesting is when you watch the movies after building the costumes, you find all the errors that they made, like half the costumes on screen are far sloppier 
than the ones that we build. For example, like I don't doubt that. Yeah, like there's on the back of the stormtrooper costume, there's a detonator, which is kind of like a bomb thing that sits on the back of the belt. And there's the scene where they're running up the ramp, the Millennium Falcon, to get uh, the stormtroopers are TK four two ones running up there to to give them some help with the package. And I noticed that the stormtrooper didn't have the detonator on. Like they before the take, he had forgotten to put it on. So if I ever forget my detonator, I'll just be like, well, I'm that guy, right? So that's that's technically now canon. Like you don't have to have a detonator because it was seen on screen with somebody who forgot it. So, and there's a lot of things that are just asymmetrical with all the costumes. And I mean, even like Darth Vader's costume isn't, the mask isn't perfectly symmetrical. And so that has to be. Yeah, when when they did episode three, when they tried to reproduce it, they couldn't. And when they when they did when they did Darth Vader in Rogue One, it looked it looked very different than the other two as well. Right, because they were they were so imperfect the first time around because they were just rushing to get things done on a low budget. But well, and he had and he had different costumes between New Hope and Empire. In Empire, he looked totally different than he did in in a new hope in many in many ways especially like he wasn't shiny at all it was very matte and then all of a sudden he's very shiny and or there's a little bit you can kind of a little bit see through the lenses on darth vader's eyes in a new hope but they kind of fix that for the next ones where it's you know more of a a black so but i don't know you know it's it's fun to geek out over small stuff like that and you know it's much more fun than the big problems of the world so uh, yeah, and frankly, there's a lot of big problems that I don't want to think about. Um, let's see, another question I wanted to ask you about a little bit. I know you have recently gotten into vinyl, and as a, an avid listener of my ridiculous uh, podcasting adventures, you've probably caught on all about all the vinyl stuff that we do, and how, how are you doing in that? How are you? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want to overstate it. I, I you know, it's funny you say that because it's like right here I have the Torchlight Parade album. This is our first album on vinyl, uh, which was really exciting to us because I think more than anything, more so than even the vinyl, I'm a fan of physical media music. Uh, streaming is not for me. I like to own Same. music. Um, I don't like to stream it. It doesn't feel like I really have it. It gets ignored or forgotten about. Same. And I also feel like even with producing music, you can tell somebody, hey, stream my stuff. And you have to be available on all those platforms because that's how most people listen to music now. So we are with both bands. I mean, you have to be there. You can't just because you don't do it. You can't expect everybody to bend to you. Right. I I can hope, but they won't. So the, the downside of, the worst thing about vinyl is that it's not portable. So you can't play it in the car, which is primarily where I listen to music. The best thing about vinyl is um, it's uh, it's so big. You can really, like, I feel like the presentation and the packaging packaging of music is such an important part of it. And, like, here's, I mean, I guess this is a completely audio interview. Yeah, but yeah I'll audio. If, if if anybody was looking so like the back of the torchlight parade album we have this picture that was done by um you don't gotta show me i've seen it i got one yeah and like so we have the it's uh it's a cemetery which fits with our theme and then the headstones are all the names of all the songs on it 
that's the sort of thing you can't get on streaming. That's the sort of thing that doesn't even really work as well on CD or definitely not cassette. So you have this big canvas and you have all this room for liner notes and the big presentation. And to me, it was very exciting to have a CD and we felt it was very exciting to have vinyl for the Torchlight Parade album. And uh, it's, it's really neat. It is very cost prohibitive though. It is. I, I looked into doing some pressing for some people and I went, oh. Yeah. And it's it's like to do what we did for this one, which we did we didn't skimp on the quality on the on the I, anything. That I mean, apart from the cover being great, the back cover being great, the the album is pressed so immaculately. I would you know in Modern pressings sound different than than older pressings. There, there's a different sound to them because they were manufactured differently, manufactured in different plants. A lot of the older ones are louder. This one sounds like an old pressing. It sounds like an original 70s, 80s pressing, and that's amazing. Yeah, and we, we paid a little bit extra to get it onto a, a higher gram. Don't ask me what it is because I don't know. I knew it well, was. It's 180. I can tell by holding it. Yeah, I think it is. I think that sounds right. But then like, even when you get it mastered, it gets, there's a separate mastering process for something that's going on vinyl compared yep. to going on CD. So that was something we had to do. Um, another downfall though of vinyl is that there is limitations on how much content you can fit on either side. I so, don't think that's a downfall. I think that's a positive because I don't know if anybody could hear the cat's got, I hope not. But I, I think too many bands can't self edit on a CD. And vinyl created the time limit for us. An album is 30 to 45. Stick in there because I think 90% of bands who go 55, 60 went too long. Yeah, I, there's something to be said for that. Um, the, 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 what we ended up having to do is with the track listing is a different order on the vinyl compared to the CD. I've heard of that happening before. Because it, it just didn't work out otherwise. And we, I, you know, I always think about the track listing as like, if this was a set, what order would you put the songs in? And, and we, we like to pay attention to that. And so I felt like the CD had a little bit better of a track order. I think that's possible. something that's really been lost in the modern days when everybody's on shuffle all the time. And oh, yeah. If you're on Spotify, like me, in the rare times that I get on Spotify, I don't pay for it. So you can't listen to an album track by track. You can only listen to it on shuffle. So what does it matter if, you know, because I would say probably 85 to 90% of all recorded music and all released music today is not on a physical format. It's just not. Right. So who cares? You know, and that's why you get so many songs, so many albums where it sounds like a collection of singles rather than a cohesive album. But I didn't know that the order was different on this one, but I never would have guessed that it was a different order. It sounded fine to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. And we, we also, there was an intro track that we that is on the CD that had to be left off of the vinyl. You won't hear and me it, complain about that. I don't like intro tracks. Uh, yeah, well, you're not going to like the next album then for sure because there is <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I get that. Um, I we it's all a, personal preference. Yeah, we had a discussion about this just yesterday about the new album. I like it when an intro track is a separate track, and then that way, it's once you've listened to the album once and you've listened to whatever presentation there or themes they're trying to put in there um, with the intro track, you have the option to skip past it. So you don't have to sit through the um, a minute and a half intro. Like I always think of the, the, 
the Judas Priest albums with Rupert Owens, which I think are great albums, but I felt like every song on those albums had like an, a minute and 30 seconds of sound effects before the music got started. Oh, I hate that this, too. This is too much, but so yeah, but we, we, we're going to have an intro track on the next one also. Um, but it's like a funeral dirge and we got somebody special to, to, to put that on there. So it's, it's almost, we were saying it's almost the second album is almost a uh, concept album in the sense that one of the reviews we got on the first album is like, Hey, you guys are funeral themed, but like only really only three of the songs are really about funerals. And we thought, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's really lean hard into this whole, you know, torchlight parade thematic and stuff like that and and so that that makes sense and i think the idea of explaining what you mean by torchlight parade uh is probably a good idea because that word that that phraseology has been stolen a little bit yeah it's uh yeah it's so it's it's you know it's like you gotta imagine a bunch of guys with uh torches going to get frankenstein or uh or um going to uh you know, a funeral procession, but yeah, so it's, it's totally we, makes we, sense when you know, it, it totally makes sense and it's fine. It just to get, yeah. Anyway, moving on. I'll shut up. So, um, but to get back to the cost of vinyl, um, so we had to do a run of a hundred of them, which was about $2,000, uh, we had 20, about $2,400 by the time it was all said and done. So, at that point, you're looking at $25 an album, which is a tough sell. <clears throat> That's a lot of money when it's hard to get people to pay a dime for music, get them to pay $25 for something. Well, the next album, we're doing a complete, like, gatefold. So who, who knows what this is going to cost, but probably <laughs> quite a bit more. So I don't, but... Uh, for me, I, I, and I, I'm in... I, I'm in the minority on this one, but I don't much care for gatefolds. I don't. I don't see the point. It doesn't really make any difference to me. But to talk to, go back to your earlier point about how the the canvas for the cover art and the packaging is so much bigger. Yes, you're absolutely right. There are covers like Led Zeppelin three. They never had. I, I never felt like I saw the cover until I owned it on vinyl, until it was so much bigger. And there's so many. And same with uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company an album of theirs I got a couple of weeks ago. And same with Kiss Unmasked. And, you know, it, that's something that, that's really cool because the art isn't the squished little thing, especially when, like, when I was growing up on cassettes and it was, like, three by three. And now when, when it's on a phone, it's one by one. And, and I, I, the cover art is what drew so many of us that are into heavy metal into that world where there's that section of the store where everything's a little scary and and i think you lose that with digital with i mean you lose so much with the digital medium that i don't like i i doubt at 10 years old i ever would have bought iron maiden if uh eddie wasn't on the cover looking all oh yeah when you see eddie you're like Okay, I need to I know what's that. going on. Yeah, like yeah, you, there's no way that that album can't be good with what what's going on on the, those Iron Maiden covers. That is yeah. actually how I discovered black metal. Um, I didn't, I had never heard the phrase black metal. I'm in vintage vinyl, and I see this really kick-ass album cover. Please don't ask me who, because I don't remember. Uh, I just know it was a blue and black album cover, like statues kind of thing. And I went, okay, 
this makes me interested. And then it had like synths and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, you know, traditional second wave Norwegian black metal, I guess third, sure. third wave Norwegian black metal. And that was, you know, cause it was never played anywhere, even on like the, the metal stations and the metal songs. And, you know, that's yeah. Um, but I, I will tell you, and I told Keefe this, which will come out after this one. Uh, I bought, guar's debut on vinyl oh right on the original pressing because there's only been the original pressing from 1987 shimmy disc some tiny little label probably in virginia i got an interview request the other day and they asked me what my rarest vinyl was i I mean i don't know if it's rare or viable or not but i know what i know what interview that was Yo, know, you got the same one? My vinyl offering. Uh, you know, what's funny is I got it from uh, Curtis Dewar. Yep, that's how I got um, it. But uh, it, I, it didn't identify what it was for or where it was from. So he actually, he, uh, he messaged me back and said I needed to submit a picture with it. So I was like, well, am I supposed to be like holding all the vinyls that I mentioned in it or, or what? So no, in the picture you do that, you hold your own. Oh, my band's vinyl. That's the pro move. Oh, you know, well, the problem with that is, though, is that that was through a PR campaign for Three Force Francis. Oh. And we did not release on vinyl. You can still do that, though. You can still hold Torchlight Parade. I would. That's that's the pro move. One, because I I stole that guy's idea for a while and I did a vinyl column, too. I told him, I'm like, hey, this is a great idea. I'm I'm stealing it. So I, and he's like, no, fine, go ahead. And, and then one guy shot back like pictures of himself in front of his turntable holding his own records. And I'm like, this guy gets it. This guy's smart. Well, I might have to, I might have to do that then. And uh, totally do that. Sell your own stuff. Well, then it's like my answer to those questions really don't match the three force Francis music at all. Cause three force Francis isn't heavy metal. It's hard rock. It's more of a cheap trick Rolling Stones sort of vibe. Which I also love, but uh, well, I think most metal guys like those bands too. Yeah, you know, it's you know one of the things that Duncan and I have really explored over the year over the year that we've been doing the DMA is when you go back to like these guys that in 1983 or 84 were so metal in the 70s. It was like hip hop in the Midwest in 1984, where we're all looking at it, going, "Well, is this going to keep going, or is this a fad?" Right. And so you had like, especially Judas Priest's first record, it sounds, it sounds like the Rolling Stones. It has right. the guitar tone of the Yardbirds. It's Judas fucking Priest. When we did a we did a Bruce Kulick album from 1978 called Blackjack, and you would never guess the the guitar player he really was because it just sounded like yacht rock, like AOR yacht rock. Because right. And the definition of what is metal has just changed so much over the years that it seems like, you know, Black Sabbath could come out now and you'd have guys saying, this isn't metal. Uh, I don't think, well, well, it depends on what album they started with. If they started with Technical Ecstasy or Volume 4. Well, you know, they started with Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. I mean, I'm saying now, if they came back now and started, because if they started with Black Sabbath, no. I, I I don't think anybody would say that's not metal, but if they started with volume four or technical ecstasy, like if that was the beginning point where they started, yeah, there'd be guys going, that's not metal. Yeah. That's a big thing. Well, it's like, 
if you watch like that decline of the western civilization part two oh good great movie and throughout the course of that the music that is covered in that music is consistently and constantly called heavy metal right but any of those bands now people are glam metal minds right Hair metal right yeah you're... i mean I, I i absolutely love that stuff and i consider it heavy metal in the sense that it was heavy metal then so the music hasn't changed but our definitions for it have so now it's like you know but but i think it would be weird if you know somebody if anybody interested in three force francis looked at this this thing and saw me holding up my prized mayhem lp which which was what i mentioned is my uh rarest one because i bought it from uh helveta records in Oslo. i remember you told me about that that's got dead on it doesn't it no i no, no. it doesn't you know it's uh, what's funny is i haven't i haven't actually listened to it because i oh, have it on, on cd well i don't know i put it it's it's framed so but it's oh. it's, got the, it's got the uh Ugh. price tag and norwegian kroner on it never well, frame them they're not they're not art well, most of, and I'm looking around the room I'm in, most, I have very many vinyls that are framed, and in almost every case, it's because they're autographed. I like to, I enjoy getting vinyl autographed. I feel like it's a good canvas for that. It, it probably is the best way to get an autograph. That's, it's never been a big thing for me. Most of the autographs I have are, uh, and I don't have very many, uh, about half of them I got without requesting them. Yeah. It was like, it just comes signed. It's like, oh, yay. And, yeah, autographs are weird in a way. I think they're kind of dumb, but at the same time, I don't hesitate to get them when the opportunity is there. It's one thing if you have an like opportunity to, to get it. It's an entirely yeah. different thing if you're like going, oh, well, Kiss is selling this CD. It's $100, but they signed it. Okay, yeah. That's dumb. I don't get that. I, I especially well, I, I don't. I think I'm kind of with you. Like, I like to get them from people in person. Stuff, when it's hanging on the wall, it's got an autograph on it. It looks a little bit neater than if it doesn't. So... But at the same time, I can't see. I'm sure there's exceptions to that. I'm sure I've paid for something that was already autographed before. But looking around, everything I see down here, I think I got in person. So, but it's kind of neat because it's like you get a lot of opportunities because we get to be the opening band for different bigger name guys as they come through town. So sometimes you get you see them backstage, and it's like, ah, do I play it cool or do I get get them to sign my stuff? And for the most part, it seems like these because the guys we're open for, they're not the Gene Simmonses of the world. They're not the big, huge names. They're, they're more the the mid level guys that think it's cool that somebody has their album and wants their autograph. So, you know, you I mean, you've opened for Striper and Metal Church and you know bands of that level who in the '80s were much bigger and they're on the. I, I don't want to say anything demeaning, but they're 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 on the the downward stroke. I don't know how to put it. It's tough and, now for anyone in a way, though. Yes. It's, oh, yeah. And I was just listening to a, a thing about it, and they were saying that there's that bands nowadays, even the bigger name bands, are having a hard time selling tickets. And I'm not talking like mega bands. Not, Guns N' Roses is doing okay. But the a band on the same level that would have no problem filling a theater in you know the 1980s or 1990s is – having to paper it because they're not they're not getting butts in the it's it's a strange it's time. it's so, strange because what, what's happened is because the record labels won't, don't pay the artists anymore at all for their music so now it's become it's always been you made more money on the road than, than in the studio you went you know 
Well, now it's like ninety-five to five percent. Yeah, I mean, it used to be seven. Used to be seventy thirty. Right. But now it's ninety-five five. If you're a big band, like if you're Kiss, it's ninety-five five. If you're Metallica, it's probably ninety ten. Well, even Kiss doesn't bother releasing new music anymore. A lot. No, they don't release new music, but they release new things all the time. Sure. Like last year or this year, they released the Off the Soundboard, which I bought that and. Oh my god, I don't regret that even a little. It's a great. Is that the one from Japan, the concert mm-hmm. from Japan? Yeah, I bought it on. Yeah, Vinyl I'm thinking about getting that. Totally love it, and it, it's got such an energy that nothing else they've ever done has. So, it, it's a true, legitimate live album without reshoots or anything. This has always been better live than in the studio. Correct, but their live albums have always been very doctored, so you don't get. Yeah, that's probably true. Just about anybody, though, really. No, I don't know. It is true. For everyone, yes, there's there's always something going on, but Kiss doctors it in a way that's just way too much. You know, but that's the, not the point. And, and then, so it's hard for the bands like um, um, Baroness, who 15 years ago would be playing 1,500 seat theaters, 2,000 seat places, easy peasy, no problem. They, they're as big as Slayer ever was in the in the entirety in the in the, in the total zeitgeist. You know, Slayer back in the 80s and 90s not now the you know venerable retired gods of metal but they play clubs because they can't fill those because you've got a they're charging 30 and 40 dollars to play a club which i mean i get that i'm, I'm no i'm not complaining right. it is what it is but it's your average music fan probably 90 percent of all music fans who go i love concerts i love concerts have never been to a club yeah, it's 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 a tough sell. And I think too, I think the the diminished role of radio oh completely really hurt things. And I think an example going back an example of that is you take a band like Sammy Hagar who was championed in St. Louis but couldn't get radio play on the East Coast. And so like he would come to St. Louis and be selling out arenas but he would play a show in New York and couldn't sell 200 tickets. It's the same band, the same era and everything. Oh, yeah. So that shows you the power of radio. And now radio has so no power to make anybody big anymore. Ra- the, the, oh God, deregulation of the FCC ruined music. Everybody wants to blame this and that, that, that was the first stone because in, you know, we're, we're both from St. Louis. Do you remember the rock? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That didn't last long. But no, it didn't last long because it started taking big chunks out of Casey's listenership. So they bought him out, right? They bought him out, which you could not have done four years before that. It would have been illegal. But so what they do, they buy them and turn them into right wing talk radio. Well, there we go. And so the competition is gone. You don't have local program directors anymore. You got two guys basically programming the entire country. Sure, it's a mother brain, and everybody, and, and they don't want to veer from the script. You correct, know? So. correct. A friend of mine is a DJ on the East Coast, and that's the way he puts it: is program directors nowadays do not want to. They want to know that if they play this, everyone will love it. And it used to be radio was where you could learn about new artists and. How many times have you heard, you know, KC, which I've mentioned a thousand times and I will mention 20,000 times more. How many times have you heard them say, oh, KC's sponsoring Steel Panther and then not play a song by Steel Panther right. ever? Right. Why? Well, so, I don't know why. Well, you play a song by Steel Panther, you might get kicked off the air in about six minutes. But Do they not have anything that, that's appropriate? I, man, I saw them in concert and I don't, 
I don't think they made it through the first 30 seconds without... Uh, okay, well, there's gotta be, there's got to be radio edits of something they can play. Yeah, it would, it would be a short song. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing. Is, but, but you're yeah. right, you're right. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, so oh, you're sponsoring Coheed and Cambria. That's awesome. You're not going to play them, so how is your audience well, going to want to go? They not even play new music from established artists. If Judas puts out an album, you might hear... Maybe for two or maybe for a month, you hear. Oh, yeah, that's exactly how it is. And then it's gone. Mm -hmm. As soon as you know, they'll they'll put out an album, they'll push the single. You might hear this if you listen to KC all the time, you'll hear the single 15 times, maybe in about a month and a half. And then next thing you're going to hear is Breaking the Law. And then the next thing you're going to hear is Breaking the Law. And the next Jewish Priest song you're going to hear is Breaking the Law. So, couple that, they'll you might get Living After Midnight. Oh, yeah, definitely living after midnight. But you're not going to get anything past 1984. If it's not on Stained Class, if it's not on, you know, Defenders of the Faith, they ain't playing it. And XM Radio is a, is a big improvement. But even then, it's they don't get you don't get deep cuts. You well, know, I got yelled at by Eddie Trunk once because I, I made fun of Eddie Trunk on Twitter for not playing metal. And he responds with these four bands or five bands that he plays on his on his XM radio show. And he's like, what about King Diamond and Testament and Metallica? Is that metal enough for you? And I'm like, hey, what about Holy Grail? What about Baroness? What about, you know, all these new bands? No yeah. Answer. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you're going to get more variety on, on Eddie Trunk's playlist than you will most places, but still not as good as it could be. Correct, and that's that, and that, and then so you couple that. You don't have the hooks getting into people. Then you don't to get them into the record stores. Then you don't have people willing to go lower themselves to go to a club. And the biggest place right now, any band that starts right now and gets huge, any rock band or metal band, the biggest they're going to go is a two thousand seater. Yeah, I mean, I you know. So, I mean, what would you say the biggest bands of the last 10 years are? I'm thinking of like the Struts, Greta Van Fleet does pretty well. Not really my thing, but not they my do thing. Well. I, don't, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I would say I mean, Ghost, Ghost made it pretty big. But, but they didn't but they didn't cross the finish line. Yeah, I mean, they they, they will. I mean, they're playing Shafitz here. Are they? Is, they are. But that's not a that's not a single headline. That's a co-headline with Volbeat. That I know. They, I know. So you know, last ten years, like in rock and metal, you got. But I mean, I, I agree with you. You're right. It is very, very rare, almost unheard of, of anybody to break through. Almost impossible. And Ghost is maybe the closest thing we've had, and even that is debatable as we debate it. You know, so right. What where, what level are they at? Really, I've seen them at the pageant with only half the place open right before they broke real big, and I've seen them open for Iron Maiden but the place was full to see them. Okay. Well, now they're doing a co-headline tour with Volbeat. Volbeat can play pops and play the pageant, but they can't play this place by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what the, what the audience is there. I would imagine they'll probably pull five or 6,000 because those bands are not that big. Even, even if, even if ghost managed to pull 10,000, which I agree with you, they're not going to, but even if they did, they are still not a household name. No, Most no, of the vast majority of people have no idea who they are. And so we're, we're talking about the biggest bands in rock now, and we're trotting out names of bands that the average person has never even heard of. Correct. And that's the way it's going to be forever until 
things start until regulation changes. But there's even more than that. In 1992, video games were for dorks and geeks. I was a nerd for playing video games. In 1997, PlayStation comes out and makes video games cool. And a video game costs five times as much as, a, as an album does. Yeah. And then couple that with middle-class incomes going down, disposable income going down, and everything costing more. And then radio not pushing new music. Well, it, it's obvious who got squeezed out. And that's that's the issue. So the it's best... Go ahead. I said it's a shame. And, and it, labels, it's a complete shame. Labels don't want to throw money behind a rock band they're, because there's so little money to throw around now. They only want to go for a sure thing like a pop act. Right. And I, I totally get that. You can record a pop album in a weekend. You know, you got, you, you've got the beats on hand that you already know. You've got your 58 songwriters that you can just pull in, write an album, bring in Billie Eilish, bring in Mariah Carey, bring in somebody Here's the lyrics, here's the songs, come back on Tuesday, record it. And they can bang it out because it's, when you're recording one part to a, like a Metallica song, when they record a Metallica song, they've got drums, bass, guitar, 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 vocals, 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 vocals. You can't record that. You can't just bang that out. It, it, there's so much craft. It, it's, when you're, Building, it's one thing, that's why a cake costs more than a pie. A pie's got three ingredients. A cake's got 50. And there's so many things that are wrong with this that it's never going to change. So the best thing anybody here can do is drag someone to a show. Right. And, and be grateful that we lived in the one era of the history of the world where rock and heavy metal was a big deal. Because it didn't, it wasn't before our lifetime, and it may never be again after us. So, we, but it's also been alive in the eighties. Agreed, but it's also important to be thankful that we still have new music, and that the fact that the, the you don't need a label anymore has democratized music. Like, there's a band out of Joplin, Missouri that I love called Gravehopper, who I have you know polished their knobs a lot because they they deserve it, and they've got like freaking disco in the middle of their death metal. Sure. And it's great. It's like whatever esoteric thing that you can come up with, you can find your audience. Correct. It's, it's also, it is the worst of times to be doing music, but it's also the best of times. It's, and this will be the last thing I say, because we've gone a little bit longer than I, than, than normal, which is fine. Oh. Cause we had a good conversation. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry. But the last thing I'm going to say, it's the best time to be a fan and it's the worst time to be a musician. And but it's also the best time to be a musician. So you can do Especially what you want. Especially on a lower level, like right. the stuff I'm doing. You know, my buddies from the kindergarten and I are never going to get signed to a, a, a major label, but yet we can get our music out there and all our friends can listen to it and, and tell us how wonderful it is. And that's better than it ever was before. Right. Yeah. No no chance. No chance under the old model for us. So, so what uh let's let's now we're gonna go ahead and play the song. What song are we gonna listen to and tell them to give a 30 second elevator pitch about it? Okay, so this will be the world debut of a song off the new Torchlight Parade album. It's called Where the Woo-hoo. Fire Grows. Uh the name of the second album is Never Laugh when a hearse rolls by. Um but <laughs> And the, the title track for it is amazing, but we don't have a final master of it yet. So that, that, that one isn't going to get played. But uh, we have one that's called Where the Fire Grows, which might be my favorite song off the album, even though we haven't played it live yet. 
Um, but uh, it's uh, this one is fully finished, completely finished, no keyboards, nothing special on this, little effects in the beginning. And it uh, kind of gives you an idea of our sound. It's a kind of a, a Twisted Sister meets Judas Priest sort of vibe to it. And uh, it's uh, it's got a good good hook to it. So Sounds good to me. Thank you very much for, for being here. Thank you for giving me the debut of your time. Excuse me. I'm gassy again. I appreciate everything. Uh, definitely good luck in the future, and we will talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. This is the Glacier Musical Podcast. Does not play in Peoria. You want?